Hi, I'm Lisa Morton, founder of Roland Dransfield PR. Welcome to We Built This City. With this podcast, I wanted to shine a light on the people who have put the heart into modern Manchester. You can build a city with bricks and mortar, but it's the people that make Manchester great. People like my guest, Sir Richard Lees. I think that the community spirit that we've built up in Manchester has been tested on any number of occasions. More recently, the uh, arena bombing really tested community spirit. It tested our cohesiveness, our willingness to recognise and celebrate diversity. At the end of it, we're all one city. We came out as a city strengthened. As leader of Manchester City Council since 1996, Sir Richard has led this city through many challenges and successes since the IRA bomb decimated the city centre in the year of his appointment. Along with Sir Howard Bernstein, Chief Exec of the City Council, Richard has been the prominent face of Manchester, steering us through both triumph and adversity. An adopted Manc, he was born in Mansfield, Nottinghamshire, and came to Manchester as a youth worker within the council. He was knighted in the Queen's Honours List in 2006 for services to local governments after having overseen the redevelopment of the city. Sir Richard and I both started out on new paths in 1996. These paths have crossed many times in a good way, and I wanted to catch up with him now to see how he's found the past 24 years of leading this city. Thank you for joining me today and We Built This City, Sir Richard. It's a pleasure. You and I started new positions in the same year, 1996, You were made leader of Manchester City Council one month before the IRA bomb, and I launched Roland Ransfield in July one month after. So we were both immediately thrown into working to support the rebuilding of the city centre. And at the time, Roland Ransfield was involved in a lot of the projects and redevelopment plans that you led on. So right now, there's a rebuild going on of a different nature, which we'll talk about. But first of all, I want to know, how do you build a city? Well, I I think if I go back to... 1996. First of all, it was a a physical rebuilding. And for some of that, uh, it's experiences we'd had over the previous six years, particularly the work we'd done on the regeneration of of Hume, where we rebuilt a whole neighbourhood for the second time. Uh, But I'm delighted to say we've done a little bit better second time round than we did first time round, because it's still uh, still going strong. But but that's, I think, really where a lot of us learnt our regeneration skills, if you like. But I think the other thing we had going for ourselves as a city was we'd also... Uh, through a range of things, not least the Olympic bids, built a whole range of relationships. A a lot of people knew each other, were used to working together. So I think we had a good basis to uh, start that physical rebuilding of the city. Clearly, part of that was doing a a master plan, a strategic plan. And that started off, well, what's wrong with our city centre? What doesn't work? And there are ingredients. We turn our back on the river. Uh, you've got from Shambles Square all the way through the Arndale, a real north-south impermeable block. Uh, we need to create permeability. Uh, those sorts of things that we said, right, let, let's just put some of those things right uh, and see where we uh, get to from that. And so I, I think there was a plan there. But we did something else, which I really only found out how fundamental it was probably about 20 years later, uh, which was that in terms of getting the city going, we were determined to get as many businesses up and running as quickly as possible. 
And the emergency fund that we created at that time, the Lord Mayor's Emergency Fund, wasn't to compensate people for loss. It was to support viable businesses to get up and running again. And that was probably the single most important thing we did at that, at that time. Because what happens in a disaster is you lose capital. If you want to rebuild, you need more capital. So actually preventing that loss of capital was absolutely fundamental. And um, how do you build cities more generally? Well, it's not a quick thing. If, if you look at Manchester and its period of decline that I think culminated really in the uh, 1990s, that took 70, 80 years. Uh, rebuilding it hopefully won't take 78 years to get back but you have to start thinking in 15 20 year time spans we as a city we're prepared to think about a 20-year plan for east manchester uh, for example and operate in those sorts of time spans and apart from that it, it is looking well what's missing what do we uh, uh, what do we think we need as a city uh, what are our strengths what can we build on and I think probably, again, fairly fundamentally, in the, for a modern economy, a skills-driven economy, what do we need to make sure that we can recruit and retain the skills we need for a modern economy? And part of that, of course, is making the city a place where those people want to live. So uh, I think improving the livability of the city, particularly in and around the city centre, but not solely in and around the city centre, has been a, a core element of growing a new Manchester. And if you go back to 1996, there were just a handful of people living in the city centre then. And I was reading the other day that in the towers at the bottom of Deansgate, the Renneker Towers, there's going to be more people in those towers eventually than live in Hale. So we've certainly managed to get the city regenerated in that period of time since the bomb. Well, that's, that's right. And you had, uh, if you go back to 1990, there was the uh, St John's development, uh, St John's Gardens, there's Smithfield, the council estate in the northern quarter, although it wasn't called the northern quarter uh, then, of course, it wasn't called anything, actually. Mm. Uh, so there's Smithfield estate. And then the bulk of the population were people like you know, caretakers, pub landlords and, and, and so on, who were effectively entire accommodation. But that was pretty much it. And bringing back a population started with... Uh, Central Manchester Development Corporation and all the work done in Castlefield and down the Whitworth Street corridor. But it's clearly it's continuing right up to the present day. But uh, having that resident population and then the assets that make it attractive to that resident population. So it is culture. And we've invested a lot in culture and continued uh, to do so. It is having that uh, bar, cafe, restaurant scene, the places where it's comfortable to be, where you've got free Wi-Fi and everything else. You know, it, that, that is part of how we've managed to rebuild the city. And for businesses coming to the city, well, what does a, a modern business look for? Above all else, they tend to look for skills and the availability of skills. And by rebuilding the city in that way, I think that's what we've been able to offer to business, is that this is a place where you will be able to recruit the talent you need because that talent enjoys living in the city. And so now Greater Mancunians face another major rebuild and one that's not about the bricks and mortar that we saw after the IRA bomb, but one which requires a completely different skill set can manage to build back better. You mentioned just before that the last time we had to rebuild, we had to look at the bits of the city that didn't work and then address that whilst building back. So do you think we need to think about that now in terms of the plans that we've got in the months and the years ahead? Well, yes. In some respects, you should always be thinking about that. What's not working very well? What can uh, 
uh, work better. In, in terms of disaster, it is a very different sort of disaster. This is very much a consumer-led, or rather a lack of consumer-led disaster. And, and we, ha- we have to recreate uh, the demand in order to drive the economy. And yeah, that does mean we're going to have to change uh, a lot of what we do. So the things that we're doing now with, around the city centre and some of our other district centres about creating a far more pedestrian-dominated environment, a, a place where shoppers can queue, uh, bars and restaurants can spill out into pavements, into uh, streets. I think those will become a permanent part of the uh, uh, city going forward. We're already consulting on a strategic regeneration framework for what used to be Central Retail Park, where we're saying we want that to be uh, apart from servicing a traffic-free environment. We've just agreed a master plan for the back of Ancoats. And Ancoats has been a real success where, again, we're saying we want this to be an area that uh, there is minimum penetration of traffic. We start creating very different environments for people to live in. And I think that will be part of how we continue to attract and retain talent. But we also have some sectors Communication sectors is is one of them. Life sciences, stuff we're doing around advanced materials, a lot of the digital agenda, where they've been growing through the uh, the COVID nineteen downturn, and will probably continue to grow. So part of what we have to do is to recognise those areas that we have uh, ongoing strengths in, and to make sure we support those to develop. We're in a far better position than we were, say, in the the 1980s recession when uh, we had a very limited range to our economy there it was principally a very old manufacturing uh, economy we now have a far more diverse economy and that does give us a far more chance of being able to survive having said that there are some sectors which again i think are key uh, to our survival that are going to be uh, challenging over the next six months to 12 months. I've already mentioned culture and the arts. I think they are fundamental to our life uh, as a city. The whole of the hospitality uh, industry, I think, is fundamental to our city. Not least, it's the biggest single employer uh, within mm-hmm. the city, but it's also about how we create that lifestyle that people want want to live within. So those are challenges that are uh, very real that we are beginning to address and start to get things back up and running. Mm, I think there's a real appetite for that, isn't there? Certainly within the hospitality and the culture sector. Fortunately, the Super Saturday wasn't as bad as we perhaps expected it to be, but we're known as a city of restaurants, aren't we? So I think that's just so key for us. I'd say that uh, we worked out that roughly 55% of places reopened over the weekend. And you know, if it, I, I know that lots of other places, they need a few more weeks to plan their reopenings for what they, they have to do. But I think really impressed by uh, the way the businesses went about that is uh, nearly all of them had followed the guidance. There's only actually, I think, one or two businesses uh, where we had issues. Actually, the two we had to close for the night. Uh, but again, even those the next night, they learned the lessons and they were able to reopen. So mm-hmm. most businesses acted really, really responsible. And most of their customers acted really, really responsibly as well. So if we keep that going, it means we ought to be able to build up momentum over a period of time. And I'm, I'm really delighted it wasn't mad over the uh, weekend because, again, it gives us an opportunity to build Whereas if it had been mad, we would have been stopping stuff all over the place. And that is not where we want to be. So have you been out for a pint yet? I went to the Cleveland, which is uh, one of my locals in Cruncel. 
I must admit, if what's this? Oh, is this what a pub looks like? It's uh, it seems so long since I've been in uh, uh, in, in one, but yeah, very moderate, a very moderate evening. Uh, home by about half eight, nine o'clock. Uh, tucked up in bed by quarter. No, not quite, but I wish. Uh, but yeah, it was. Uh, I, I've had one meal out uh, in town at lunch, uh, lunchtime, and I've had been to the pub once, and uh, it was really nice to be able to go out again. You can't actually quite believe that you can do it, can you? I'm going out on Friday, so I'm excited about that. Well, I think from what I've seen of the budget, uh, I think I'm going to be going out every day in August. It's uh, getting me ten pound off. <laughs> no VAT. Oh, sorry, five percent VAT. So yeah. that's still a big, uh, uh, big reduction. I, th- I think those are measures that will help. Yeah, I'm sure. And the other thing that I think is really noticeable about the city is obviously we've got very ambitious carbon neutral ambitions, which are more aspirational than most other European cities. For me, I mean, I've come into the city quite a lot. I've walked in from sale. I've spent time in the city when it's been very quiet. Although it feels like the heart's gone a little bit, I feel that's coming back. But the air quality is better. It's brilliant to be able to walk around without having to look over your shoulder when you're crossing the road. I've seen that there's plans for the Hume roundabout, the new cycling routes. I know that you're a a very keen cyclist. So do you think we're going to be able to get Mancunians on bikes in in droves and kind of get out of their cars? No. Uh, (laughs) Somebody uh, came and uh, delivered some books to my house up in North Manchester. By bike, they cycled. Uh, but when they got to the house, they said, uh, these people that talk about everybody getting on the bikes, they forget you've got hills in North Manchester. <laughs> yes. uh, it's also, I, I mean, there are far more people on, the, on their bikes, and that's brilliant. And far more people doing recreational cycling as well, and that's brilliant uh, too. In fact, the, the big move has actually been to walking rather than cycling. Uh, so mm. people who were previously using public transport quite often are now walking, although sadly the biggest move from public transport has been back to the uh, private car. And, mm. uh, frankly, unless we get public transport uh, carrying more people, that's likely to be uh, an ongoing trend. So, But the number of people walking has increased very, very uh, significantly, and we need to keep that going. I have to say one other thing, though, and this is, uh, applies particularly to cycling, is that uh, whether we've been having lately, that if you look at the figures, people who cycle on rainy days, it more than halves. And that's the thing. It is, it's not a, a permanent fault. No, it's a nice day. People cycle. It's great. Weather's foul. They don't. Mm. Uh, so uh, we have to bear that in mind when we are planning uh, transport that people are not necessarily going to use the same mode every day of the week in order to get to wherever it is that they're going to. It is great to see more people moving though and more people oh, yeah. out and about families and that kind of thing and I know that there's get Manchester moving. I remember when I was starting my career and I used to have to get across the city centre with a pair of high heels and a dress on. I mean those days are over all in trainers now aren't we which is good for our health I think. Well, I, I thought even in those days, the thing to do was to carry a pair of comfortable shoes that you put on <laughs> to walk across town and then put the silly shoes on uh, yeah. when you got wherever you were going. Although although not wearing the silly shoes in the first place is far more sensible, I have to say. <laughs> uh, and it is, I, mean, I quite often, uh, if I'm going anywhere around the city, I'll, I'll tend to uh, walk. So from the town hall to, say, the university, 20 minutes, 
University of Salford's only 20 minutes as well in the other direction. If I'm going up to Anko, it's 15, 20 minutes. It's a very walkable city centre and, uh, uh, and making it easy to walk and safer to walk. Yeah, I think it will just get more people doing walking because it's quicker and easier. And when we have clients up from London and we walk across the city with them, they can't believe how long it takes to get across, though, because you bump into so many people that, you know, that's what I miss from all this Zoom stuff. I miss seeing people's faces. I was in town yesterday and I met half a dozen people that I'd not seen for a while and that felt really good. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I agree with you that if I thought the future was working from home on video conferencing, I think I'd want to give up completely. I, (laughs) you know, it's just I don't like working. I know some people do. Uh, I don't like working from home because. Well, you don't have that contact with people. You just don't have it. Politics is also, I think, uh, it is clearly a very oral, interpersonal thing. So uh, it's it's not an operational thing. So, yeah, I really miss that. Yeah, I think the magic happens when you get people together, for sure. Uh, that's absolutely right, is you don't get a lot of innovation in Zoom calls, I have to say. it's uh, uh, Innovation does come from interaction. And uh, again, part of the future of the city is about generating uh, ideas and Uh, You always get your best ideas from somebody else. We built this city, exploring the purposeful relationships that grow a community. So you're an adopted Mancunian, you were born in Mansfield and you came to Manchester as a youth worker and then joined City Council in 1984. Do you see yourself as a Mancunian now? Well, you said I'm an adopted Mancunian. I'm not an adopted Mancunian, I'm a Mancunian. I was born in Mansfield. I lived there in Mansfield, Sutton in Asheville, Kirby in Asheville till I was 18. I lived in Coventry for nine years. But I think that there is a, something quite special about Manchester, that if you move to Manchester, if you fall in love with Manchester, if you adopt the values of Manchester, you become a Mancunian day one. You don't have to serve your time to become a Mancunian. So I say I am a Mancunian. And would you ever leave or is this your home for good now? Oh, this is my home for good. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've lived in Crumpsall for 41 years. <laughs> Never mind Manchester. I'm not leaving Crumpsall anytime soon. So uh, I cannot imagine living anywhere else. It's uh, I, I, I love living in Manchester. It's sometimes amazing how like, the place chooses you or the people choose you, don't they? Well, I, I did end up here in Manchester. To a, I came for work, but that was even that was partially accidental. And I was living in Coventry. Uh, I'm not going to say anything derogatory about Coventry, but I didn't want to live in Coventry. And uh, I and my then partner, we basically picked a line, the the Manchester-Leeds line, and uh, started looking. That's that's roughly where we want to be. Started looking for jobs in that area. And uh, the job I got was a job in in, in Manchester. And uh, and it could have been disastrous. I could have ended up in Leeds and then that would not have worked at all. No, not for us either. I mean, being a leader as well for 25 years is no mean feat. And people must look to you for so many answers. We've both got our 25th anniversaries next year, actually, around the same month. But have you ever woken up in the morning and just thought, you know, I can't lead today. I just need to follow for a bit. Uh, <laughs> uh Look, the the job I do, this, these are approximate numbers. You spend about 75% of the time doing things you don't want to do in order to spend 25% of your time doing the things you do want to do. That's probably quite common in a lot of jobs and, yeah. and activities, really. And there are times you look at what's coming uh, up in the immediate future and think, oh, 
how we're going to deal with that at the moment we're looking at the most difficult budget situation that uh, we've ever faced by a long uh, a long way and i'll look at that and yeah just think how are we going to cope with that now i know ultimately we will find a way one way or another but at the moment i simply cannot see a way of being able to deal with that and there have been situations in the past where uh, really, you get to what appears to be the, the absolute end. And at Commonwealth Games, uh, which everybody remembers as a glorious success, because it was a glorious success, uh, with a year to go, we didn't have a budget for the Commonwealth Games. Uh, so actually, our ability to plan, even with a year to go, was extremely limited. When you get into those sorts of situations, yeah, there is a temptation to just put your head under the pillow and uh, stay there for a long time. Yeah, I know there's some dark moments, aren't there? So what do you think makes a good leader, though? Well, I I think uh, understanding that uh, everything's done by teams, that you don't achieve anything much on your own. Even world-class athletes, the Mo Farahs of this world, yes, they have talent, they have the discipline, but they also have a team uh, around them and having the right team makes a difference. So teamwork, partnership, working in that way is important. Leadership implies going somewhere uh, having an idea where it is that you're going to always uh, helps so having direction having purpose obviously pe- people need to buy into that direction and purpose but being able to set an agenda being a, uh, uh, and to be able to articulate that agenda is really really important it is perseverance and uh, determination and obstinacy at uh, at times there are, uh, there are some of those qualities that uh, I, I think are required in order to to be able to exercise leadership. So I I think it's a mix of things, really. But I think probably the one thing that underpins all of that is knowing that it's not all about you. It is about uh, the team. It's about all the people you need to to do to be able to deliver. When we have induction for new councillors, which we have pretty much every year, after local elections, one of the things I always say to councillors is that one of the things you have to remember, it is the position that you occupy that is important, not you. Always remember that. And that's it, uh, that I have power because I'm leader of the council, not because I'm Richard Lees, and I have to remember uh, <laughs> that all the time as well. And is civic leadership different, do you think, to, say, leadership in a business? Uh, I think there is a difference, and I think that difference has become more pronounced over the last 25 years. So leadership of place has become far, far more significant. So we're not simply uh, a deliverer of services any, anymore, that as a council, we we have a responsibility for the uh, whole place. That's not entirely new, because I think some of uh, uh, the civic fathers, and they were fathers in the 19th century, would have seen their role uh, very much in in that sort of way. But uh, they would have also seen it from a fairly patronising and paternalistic point of view, not from a teamwork, bring people together point of view. But yeah, I think that leadership of place is something that distinguishes civic leadership from uh, most other forms of leadership. Mm. And you've obviously had an army of fantastic people behind you at the town hall and you worked side by side with Sir Howard Bernstein for many years. Who else has been there to support you through challenging times? Uh, Well, certainly uh, members. I am subject to an annual election to be leader of the Labour group. So, uh, uh, so uh, yeah, the support from members, there is the executive team there. Uh, 
and that, that, of course that's changed over the years but uh, uh, the executive members and the rest of the Labour group have been uh, fairly fundamental to this the electorate have helped because if we didn't get elected we wouldn't be able to do uh, uh, anything that's always worth remembering as well mm. uh, that in politics if you don't get elected you can't do anything uh, at all so the electorate pretty important uh, the council team itself and there have been uh, a large number of people that have played key roles uh, o- over the years. And if you look at the, perhaps people you're more familiar with, uh, uh, the uh, Eddie Smiths of this world, the Pat Bartolis who work mm. in the, the development and the regeneration uh, area, going to the past people like Steve Michio, too many that are in, in danger. If you start naming people, I could go on forever and ever and probably have to go on for uh, ever and ever because there are just so many people who have done a fantastic job over the last 25 years and are doing a fantastic job now. But it's also the, the people we, we uh, work with. So the vice chancellors of the universities over that period of time, the people who have been running the uh, NHS within the city and, uh, of course, our private sector partners mm. as well. So over 25 years, I will have worked with probably thousands of, uh, of people and they've all played their part in building the city. Absolutely. And I think this city is renowned for that community and the connections so that you do feel, I mean, certainly we've been around for a while now, but you can pick the phone up and if you don't know somebody specifically, you can always ask for an introduction. The doors are very much open in the city, aren't they? Uh, they are. We need to keep it that way. It's, it's really important. It goes back to one of the questions you asked earlier about how you build a, a, a city. And I, I think it, uh, and you t- talked about Howard as well, although I think the same is true about uh, Joanne, is that yeah. uh, for people who wanted to do something in the city, they knew that if they got in touch with me or if they got in touch with Howard, we get back to them. Uh, they won't be just put into a sausage uh, uh, machine. You'd be able to have a conversation. And I think uh, that ability to respond and to respond reasonably quickly, again, has been a, a crucial part of how we've been able to build the relationships and partnerships that is actually what has built the city. Mm. And that's it's always said about Manchester, isn't it? That more perhaps than other cities, we, because of that attitude, get stuff done. We make decisions quickly and get on with stuff. This immediately following the Commonwealth Games, and probably it took about 12 to 18 months, um, uh, we did a piece of work looking about how we were going to build on the success of the Commonwealth Games. Not that we did have a plan beforehand, but I think for all of us, the success of the Commonwealth Games exceeded expectations. So we thought this is worth looking at about how we can do more than what we'd originally uh, planned for. And this is trading slightly into your territory, but one of the things we did was to start looking at the branding of the city. And we recognised very, very quickly that this was not about logos or strap lines. The brand of the city was very clear. The brand was Manchester. The question was, what did that brand mean? What were the characteristics of uh, of the brand? So we spent a lot of time developing an understanding of what the Manchester brand uh, meant. And it came out with a, a small number of particular characteristics. It, it is a live and let live city. It's what I talked about being an instant Mancunian. You come here and if you want to do stuff, the city lets you do stuff, as long as you can get on with things. It's actually a very tolerant uh, uh, city. It will welcome anybody from anywhere who wants to come and uh, come and do things. But also, it has an attitude. Uh, partly the attitude is a can-do attitude that we can get things done and I think uh, understanding 
uh, that and those characteristics of the city has also helped us build it. So, uh, I mean, this was something after we'd gone through the whole of that exercise. It's what uh, Peter Saville characterised through the brand signifier of original modern. Uh, although, again, say great ideas you get from somebody else. I know Peter got that from somebody else. But what Peter re- realised, and this is the important thing, was that it was a great. It was he realised it was a great idea, and that's the uh, uh, that's the, that's the knack, really, isn't it? When somebody else has a great idea, it's about it's about recognising it, mm-hmm. uh, really. So. Understanding the values of the city leads us to do things in a different way. So a a very clear example of that is Manchester International Festival, where we said to Alex Poots, design a festival that meets the values of this city. So the festival of first, newly commissioned work and, and so on. It's not a festival like anywhere else, but it's a festival that is very much about the character of this uh, this city. And we try and adapt that to uh, everything we do. Because uh, clearly... We want to maintain our distinctiveness as a city. We want people, when they come to Manchester, to know they are in Manchester, not any city anywhere. And I think we've been able to maintain that. This is the We Built the City podcast, celebrating the Mancunians that built and continue to build this amazing city. So there's been loads of events in your career. Are there any that you've enjoyed most or any periods of time that you've enjoyed most or felt have been the most significant in terms of progress or wins for the city? Oh, uh, lots. So if I look at the positives, there have been lots and lots. And I think what we did in uh, Hume in the, uh, well, we started them in the 1990s has been uh, uh, was a, f- a phenomenal experience, and to see an area change and change for the uh, uh, for the better is great. I think the rebuilding of the city centre post IRA bomb, to see a plan come together and uh, be built on the ground. Oh yeah, that's what we had in mind. It's uh, doesn't always happen that way, but that that uh, that one did. And I think one of my favourite moments of that was uh, I think when we uh, constructed New Cathedral Street, and part of the concept of that was building that north-south connectivity that uh, had been lost and it's been able to stand at a point and see the cathedral in one direction and St Anne's Church in the other uh, direction a new view but that allowed you to see uh, along the city from the Middle Ages through to uh, the Georgian period with modern in, in between. It's, mm. uh, it, it, though, that, that's a, a magic moment. The Commonwealth Games was uh, uh, was a fantastic moment. The Manchester International Festival was a fantastic moment. Uh, I think what we've been able to do in neighbourhoods well, like Withenshaw, where uh, Withenshaw has gone from, at one point, it had the poorest super output area in the country. Now, I'm not saying that Withenshaw doesn't still have deprivation in too much of it, uh, really, but it's been transformed over the past uh, uh, 20 odd odd years. And uh, I think it's even been a housing hotspot in the last few years uh, as well. Other areas of the city uh, city as well, um, Ancoats over the last few years and the last three or four years, that's been a fantastic transformation. The establishment of a new university, the merging of uh, UMIST and... uh, uh, the old University of uh, Manchester, which had a few painful moments in it as well to get to that point, but uh, a real a real success there. So I think the regeneration 
process in East Manchester, which has still got another 10, 15 years to go, but uh, taking a, an area that was vast amounts of industrial dereliction and starting to see that come back to uh, life. So I think there are uh, lots and lots of things, but underpinned by, I think, statistics that our health still isn't good enough, but our kids are now doing far better at school than they were 20-odd uh, years ago. Uh, that families in general are, do, are are doing better, that we are having, it's things that are having a positive impact on people's lives. And what would you say that you're most proud of your contribution to the city so far? That's a really, really difficult question. But uh, I, I think if I was going to identify anything, let's say that this was a city that in the 1980s, and particularly after the recession of the 1980s, uh, had lost that attitude, had lost that self-confidence, uh, it had lost belief in itself. Uh, I think the city has got that belief back. It's got that self-confidence back. It's a city that believes it can do things. And places that believe they can do things do things. It's an absolute pre, uh, prerequisite. So I, if I was going to pick anything, it's it's not the physical things or particular projects and, and, and so on. I think it's how the city now sees itself. Yeah, huge self-confidence. And I think we know that we're brilliant in adversity, aren't we? I think going back to 96, and we've, we've had a quite a few knocks along the way. We've got another big knock now, but we seem in a, a good place to address that and to stand up to it. I think that the community spirit that we've built up in Manchester has been tested on any number of uh, uh, occasions. 1996 was one. Uh, I think more recently, the uh, arena bombing Mm. Uh, really tested community spirit. It tested our cohesiveness, our willingness to recognise and celebrate diversity. And at the end of it, we're all one city. And I think we came out of that amazingly. Uh, and as often happens through the most terrible circumstances, uh, we came out as a city strengthened rather than uh, weakened and more determined to live our lives and be the sort of city we want to be. Would you have done anything different? No, everything was perfect. Uh, <laughs> it's um, right, move uh, on then. <laughs> there are all there are all sorts of things. I, I don't think we've done anything actually major wrong, but there are all sorts of things I can think of that we can have done better o over the years. There are, there always are, and I think what we've been pretty good at is learning from uh, those things, and I think managing to put them right ne next time round. I think it might seem quite a trivial example, but I don't think it is really. But when we were rebuilding Hume back in the early 90s, we didn't put any street trees in. It was a real mistake. Uh, and we put parking bays in instead on places like Stratford Road. That was a mistake too. So uh, we put it right and we've not done it again. Uh, so I, I think it's more things of, of that sort of scale that mm. uh, we've got wrong. Something actually I ought to put down as an achievement, but didn't. It's probably because it's now become uh, part of every, every day that you forget about it. Is it's devolution and the uh, uh, the creation of the combined authority and uh, everything ar around that. So uh, and that's probably the biggest change to governance in this country for po probably a century actually. So uh, pretty fundamental, really. So uh, yeah, that's and something that uh, again sets Manchester apart from the rest of the country. That's something that was designed here, built here. Yeah, another first. What does a good day feel like to you? 
when you go home, the end of the day, you've led the city all day. When when do you know you've done a good job? Oh, never. <laughs> um, uh, well, it's, it, it's. I think it's one of the other attributes of uh, uh, leadership is that when you finish one thing, it's the next thing. It is uh, for those people who, who are fans of uh, West Wing. It is. It's always the question: What's next? And mm-hmm. um, that's that's it. Is that uh, there is always something else? You you are never never. Uh, never done so I, I think that uh, impatience to always to do something faster uh, new is, has got to be there I swear there, there are days when um, yeah you go home that it could be all sorts of things can't it it could be that you've come to the end of a, or a, a key phase in a particular sort of uh, project it could be that you've just had a good meeting uh, and and got a good feeling from uh, from that or You've seen something that looks a really exciting idea, something that uh, new, something that's going to change the city. So there are all sorts of things that make a, a good day, although days do tend to start relatively early. And I'm afraid with the amount of reading uh, that I have to do, quite often finish late. But I had a good weekend, actually, last weekend, because I started the weekend with a uh, an email backlog of over a thousand, and by by Sunday tea time, it was down to under a hundred. So that was a good weekend. But did you actually get any weekend, or did you work the whole way through? Oh, I got some weekend, but uh, I felt a lot better having uh, my email backlog in uh, double figures rather than quadruple figures. If you have any spare time, can you sort mine out? My <laughs> inbox is actually, I keep getting a warning to say it's full. I've got to get on oh, that. <laughs> Lisa, I could sort yours out in seconds. Good. I'll hold you to that then. <laughs> Select all, delete all. You're done. If you're loving We Built This City, please could you take the time to leave a five-star review on your podcast platform? Thank you. So we talked before about values and obviously we have the Roland Dransfield way and that's 15 values and principles we try and hold ourselves accountable to. Are there any in there that you can relate to most? I I think being value driven is really, really important. How you phrase your values has got to suit you, your organisation and and so on. So I I only feel comfortable about commenting on the City Council's uh, Mm -hmm. uh, own values. And the most important of of those and the one that underpins everything else is pride in the city. Uh, That I I don't see how you can work for Manchester if you don't have pride uh, in in Manchester. And indeed, uh, in the past, I'm going back a while now, but I've addressed meetings of staff and I've asked the question, of people working for the council, put your hand up if you feel uh, proud of Manchester. And I'm delighted to say the vast majority of people put their, uh, their hands up. But I said to the rest is, if you haven't got pride in the city, you shouldn't be working for us. Uh, so it is absolutely fundamental above all all else. We have an expression is, are you on the bus or off the bus? So that says it, doesn't it? You're either yeah. with Manchester or you're against. There's no, yeah. there's no kind of grey area there. No, it's, it's a yes or no. It's definitely yeah. a yes or no. Definitely. And one of our values is plant trees you'll never see. And that's leaving a legacy out of respect for those people who follow you. You've obviously planted a forest for Greater Manchester and your legacy is unquestionable. But are there any trees that you feel that still need to be planted? One of the discussions we've been having quite a lot of of, uh, of late and connected to uh, two things. One is the uh, Public Health England analysis of uh, the inequality impacts, the disparity impacts of COVID 
2019. The other is uh, the Black Lives Matter movement is uh, what it brings home to you uh, very starkly is what whatever progress that we think we and we have made a lot of progress as a city that we still live in a very unequal uh, place and whilst we continue to live in a very unequal place there will always be a lot of trees to be planted you talked about pride in manchester and having to have a love of manchester so when you think about the city how does that actually make you feel perhaps i use use an example is is that um, i remember going back to the 80s and uh, maybe go away with a family on holiday and go to somewhere elsewhere in europe go to other cities and uh, i used to think i wish manchester was like this I don't do that anymore. I don't do that anymore because uh, I, I go and say, oh, Manchester's better than this. Uh, and that's that's how I feel. We had Vikas Jar on the podcast the other week and he was saying that this, that feeling that you get when you're coming through the grey clouds into landing into Manchester Airport and although you moan about the weather, you just know you're home as soon as you get to that spot. Oh, look, uh, it's sad but, sad but true that I struggle to take a two-weeks holiday because I – and you asked me whether I'm a – an adopted Mancunian or, or, or not, is that after about 10 days, I get homesick. I want to be back in the city. And what do you miss most about the city when you're away? Oh, I, I think I love the buzz of urban life. You know, I, I think like people who live in, the, uh, live in the countryside, I really just don't get it at all, uh, really. It's a bit like going to hell early, as far <laughs> as I'm concerned. It's, uh, uh, I just don't understand how you you know where you have to drive everywhere even to go you know get a newspaper you have to drive i don't that you might commute two hours to get uh, to get to get to work now i like the countryside you know i went walking uh, up on the sandage edge uh, last week it was fantastic it's easy easy range but uh, no i i love the buzz of urban uh, life So I'm going to ask you some quick-fire Manchester questions now, Sir Richard. So favourite building in Manchester? I think if I was to go for a modern building, it would be the Civil Justice Centre. Uh, still don't think that's been surpassed of stuff that's been built over the uh, last 20 years. Mm. Clearly in terms of uh, uh, older buildings, it is Manchester Town Hall. It is absolutely magnificent. They're my mum's two favourite buildings in the city centre. She'll be pleased you said that. <laughs> Your mum obviously has impeccable taste. She does. Yeah. <laughs> I know the answer to this one. A city or United? City. Uh, absolutely uh, city. Uh, no, a good, well, in, in the days when football was only played at weekends, a good weekend was City winning, United losing. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so that, that's a good weekend. Although... I do bring myself to enjoy United winning in Europe, but that's simply because it brings business to the city. <laughs> so what do you order at the Chippy? Believe it or not, I cannot remember the last time I went to the Chippy. I don't do takeaways, uh, really. So uh, if I did order anything, well, actually, it would have been uh, fish, chips and mushy peas. Yeah, definitely. You need to give it another go. Well, I've, I've uh, again, the advantage of lockdown is I've been doing my own mushy peas and actually homemade are better than what you get from a chippy. Right. Well, after this, I'll find out the recipe because I love mushy peas. Best view of Manchester? 
Well, I, I've been actually on on uh, Twitter this year, been doing quite a, a few views of uh, Manchester and even quizzing people on where uh, they've come from. So uh, views of the city centre, I think the best two I've come across, best three actually, four, I'm going to give you four, in, in reverse order. One is coming down off uh, Snake Pass. So you're above Glossop and you're looking out over the city from there. Then Top of Tandle Hill, uh, Bowley, uh, just outside uh, Middleton, fantastic view there. Phillips Park in uh, Presswich Whitefield, there's a great view there. And I'm going to give you a fifth. Uh, if you're coming through uh, Salford on the A6, there is a particular point there where you just get a, a fantastic view where it's one of those... And you have to be moving for this one, but it's where Manchester comes into uh, uh, view. You'll notice that all of my favourite views are an arc around the north of the city. Yeah. Uh, but that's probably because we've got hills. In the hills, north. exactly. The view is much better. <laughs> Absolutely. What do you think the best thing is to come out of Manchester? I'd have to say, and, and it's not a thing, but all the great social movements that have been spawned within the, the city and there, there are a lot of those but I am going to pick one which is women's emancipation because it's impacted on 50% of the population so well actually impacted on 100% of the population but 50% in particular but uh, but all of those the, the great social movements around our working class history the trade union movement free trade a whole range of stuff that I think is a city we have spawned and have continued to spawn over the centuries. That's a great note to finish on. That gets my vote. And thank you so much for joining me today because I know how many commitments that you have. It only gets your vote, Lisa, because you've now got a vote. That's, <laughs> That's the point a, about it. That's the point. <laughs> Well said. So I'll leave you now to get Manchester back up and running. We're all behind you. We've built the city a few times. We'll do it again. I think we're in safe hands. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Lisa. Sir Richard Lees built this city by figuring out what hasn't worked and fixing it, by not just delivering services, but delivering a place, by becoming an instant mank and by having his own secret mushy pea recipe. We Built This City is out every Thursday and next week we'll be featuring another amazing Mancunian who helped put the heart into modern Manchester. This is a podcast from Roland Dransfield PR. Our mission is to build purposeful relationships in all we do. If you want your company to be part of that, give us a call on the number we've always had. 0161 236 1122.